0: Now, earlier in the week, we heard the independent TD, Michael Healy-Ray, giving out about the reversal of the cuts to excise duties on petrol and diesel. We also heard how it was that the cabinet had decided that it would not be introducing congestion charges for motorists in the lifetime of this government, at least until such stage as we had adequate public transport measures in place. However, there's another way of looking at this and we've two guests with us because one of them co-wrote a piece that was in the Irish Times today which was very interesting about future government revenues arising from motoring. The government takes in so much money out of motoring, not just vehicle registration taxes and annual motor taxes, but also from the excise and VAT on fuel. Our first guest is Dr. Merlin Lynch, who is Senior Research Officer in Energy Economics at the ESRI. Merlin, thank you for joining us. About how much money does the state take in in tax from motorists each year? It's about 4 to
1: £5 billion, and to put that in context that's more than the entire budget of the Department of Transport every year. So that's their capital and their current expenditure combined. So it's a significant amount of revenue.
0: Samirin, is the amount of money coming into the Exchequer each year in motor-related taxation under threat?
1: I would say it is if we succeed with our plans to electrify the the fleet. So at the moment, we are taking in four to five billion euro in these taxes between fuel duties and also motor taxation. Um, And that is the vast majority of that is raised on the fuel itself. Now, to put that in context, that's more than the entire budget of the Department of Transport, both current and capital expenditure in a given year. However, obviously, electric cars don't buy petrol, they don't buy diesel and they pay a lower rate of of motor registration tax. So if we go ahead and electrify our car fleet, all of that money or the vast majority of that money is going to disappear um, and we're going to need to raise it from somewhere else.
0: Although presumably there is some money that comes from the purchase of electricity, but it comes nowhere near that amount, does it?
1: Nowhere near that amount. No, because on electricity, you're only paying VAT and it's at a reduced rate relative to the VAT that you pay on petrol and diesel. um, And then you're not paying any of the excise duty.
0: And as it is as well, when you buy an electric car or a hybrid, do you pay a lower rate of motor tax annually to keep that car on the road?
1: You certainly do, yes. Electric cars pay the lowest rate. Um, and then in in general, cars are taxed on their emissions band. So even if you switch to a more fuel efficient petrol or diesel car, that is going to have an impact on revenue. And then buying an electric car is going to have an even greater impact again because they're the lowest band.
0: So we know that governments don't like the loss of revenue and as you say, they'd have major expenditure to be taken out of the annual budget on the maintenance of the roads and building new roads and whatever. So what's your potential solution to that problem?
1: So the way we have to think about it is about cars bring costs and cars bring benefits. Um, but most of the costs actually accrue to everybody and the costs are Emissions costs, obviously, but also congestion and accidents and noise. So if we were to move from just taxing one of those costs, namely emissions, to actually taxing all of the costs, then we can rebalance the revenues and we can also encourage people to drive less no matter what kind of car they're driving. So, for example, congestion happens not just based on whether you drive your car, but also on when and where you drive your car. It's more costly to society to drive your car in a city at rush hour than it is to drive it in a rural area where there's no public transport. So what that means is if we were to reduce the amount that we charge on fuel duties and instead start to charge for congestion, then we're actually taxing that social cost of congestion. And then we're leaving an awful lot of drivers better off. So the drivers that drive In at times when it's the social cost of driving is low, they get a dividend and the drivers that drive when and where the social cost of driving is high, they pay an extra bit.
0: OK, let's bring in Dr Lorraine Darcy, Sustainable Action Research and Innovation Lead at TUD and Senior Lecturer in Sustainable Transport and Mobility. What do you make of that argument, Lorraine, that maybe we need to be moving towards congestion charges as a form of compensation in one respect for the loss of revenue to the state from motoring taxes?
2: I think it's a really interesting argument, and um, but it's one that is essentially based on an economic model and looking at the economic costs and directly related to transport. In transport in general, we're moving into a much more transdisciplinary approach and viewpoint on what are you know the barriers the determinants the, and the um, impacts of our our decisions in relation to what we're delivering, and you know when we. When it comes to uh, motor vehicles and individual motor vehicles, for every kilometre travelled by a motor vehicle, the like, society incurs a cost of 11 cents per kilometre. Whereas when we um, actually, when people walk or if they cycle, um, so walking there's a benefit to society of 37 cent per kilometre and cycling a benefit to society of 18 um, cent because this then is based on the health outcomes. sorry, I was just about to ask,
0: I mean I'm sure it's probably quite complicated so please don't bamboozle our listeners but how how do you actually get to figures, calculations like that a cost of 11 cent or a benefit of 37 cent?
2: I know it. It, it. it is it's complex, and that was a European wide study, um, which those numbers came from. And so, essentially, when it comes to our non communicable diseases, so these are our cardiovasculars, our heart disease, and cancers, and diabetes. So, and um, very common um, diseases in our society. A lot of those are whether they are initiated or amplified from a lack of physical activity, um, exposure to um, air pollution, um, a lack of socialisation. So, not knowing our neighbours and a lot of that is driven by the car dependency that we've actually built into our networks and structures so at the moment like I would actually say that we have a taxation inbuilt in how we've delivered transport um, infrastructure for the last number of years because we have built in a car dependency we're now um, it's very difficult for many families to actually operate with even just one car depending on the systems this like we we hear anecdotally of families buying a second car when the kids start school because of, they can't logistically do what they need to do so there is this um, there's this greater picture and it's an emerging area and it's coming about because we're, we are, we're breaking down the silos in relation to how we look at any one societal issue and um, I'm actually here at the um, National um, Sustainable Mobility Stakeholder Forum today and I was just really um, heartened by the fact that that is the way the conversation has evolved and we had behavioural scientists here and, and um, people are thinking beyond the economics and engineering which was the traditional voices in the transport arena.
0: Okay, but what about the idea of a congestion charge almost to discourage people from using cars being ruled out by the government earlier this week, at least until such stage as we have sufficient public transport, which many people might think was going to take ages given how long we've been gone about building the Metrolink, for example.
2: Yes, and I think that sometimes the framing of the conversation um, can confuse the debate. Um, sometimes Often when we talk about congestion charging, people automatically think of, say, for example, Dublin City Centre. But one of the greatest examples we have of congestion charging is actually the Dublin Port Tunnel and the timed, like Maureen mentioned there, the timed approaches so to, to regulate the traffic. But it becomes a demand management piece. There is a danger, though, if we um, overemphasise the use of um of congestion charging, that what we're actually doing is we're, we're creating a dividing society and and a perceived unfairness. That those that can afford, you can still behave the way that you you've always been behaving, um, but those that can't afford it, you're being excluded from things in society. But in relation to be able to deliver our public transport, we actually do need to reduce. The number of cars on our streets. We have to we have to look at the real allocation of road space, and what are the most efficient ways of moving th- people through the space, and and balancing that out. And the debate is polarised because people will latch onto the you know people fear change, so they will latch onto the project that is very far in the future, which is the metro. Um, Whereas there's a lot more we can deliver at a local level. Most of our trips are less than two kilometres in distance. So we we can start by addressing how to make those trips easier around people's neighbourhoods, for example. And in a rural context, we see that even in the last year, the delivery of the new bus routes in Ireland, the rural bus routes, we have an over 30% increase in the patronage of um, rural public transport. So... um, Yes, congestion charging has its benefits in particular locations, but very specific ones. But we need to be careful of not using it as a tool, um, a quick and easy tool. And also, it's not very quick and easy. There's a a massive cost involved in um, the infrastructure that needs to go in in order to to run it. And and that deflects, that investment actually deflects from, you know, um, other incentives and projects. Okay,
0: I want to quickly put this thing to both of you. I'll start with you, Lorraine, but how difficult is it going to be to actually change people's habits as to car use? When, for example, even when you have campaigns to try and encourage children to walk to school, The parents have all sorts of objections, whether Mm -hmm. the bags are too heavy for them to carry. They think children are unsafe. And one of the most logical, practical things in many cases is immediately shot down, Lorraine. Yes.
2: Yes, and again, um, like I mentioned earlier, it's it's that change piece that people fear what's going to happen. So we actually need to b- get better at our at our grassroots involvement. And as I mentioned, like transdisciplinary thinking, it's not about like denying people um, access to a car if they need it. It is about making the more sustainable choice the easiest. We know when people choose how they travel, they go with the quickest and cheapest. And um, so it is. There's an shift there is an narrative there,, but there is um we just have to help people to see Thing is, on all our surveys, what we're finding is there's seventy to eighty percent of the population who tell us that they want to do better for the environment, they want to change, but they just need help in understanding how they can best do that and the the system to help them.
0: Let me finish with Dr. Moran Lynch because it seems a lot of behavioural economics has come into what Lorraine Darcy has been talking to us about. But I think you also feel in relation to congestion charges that there is an issue of greater fairness and that maybe some of those who are shouting against congestion charges the most maybe don't realise that it might suit them the best. Can you explain that a bit?
1: Yeah, so there's a bias called status quo bias and what it means is that we prefer what we're used to. We prefer the status quo Um, and congestion charges are a really interesting example of this internationally in that in general, Before congestion charges are introduced, everyone thinks they're a terrible idea. But after they're introduced, they tend to prove very popular. And that's because you immediately see the benefits. You immediately see you've got less delays, you've got less traffic jams, and you've got a more pleasant city. So it means that you get to choose. Do I want to pay the extra euro or the extra few euro and drive in my car without being stuck in traffic? or do I want to save myself a few quid and take the bus or cycle instead? Congestion charges give people that choice. They give people that extra option. Whereas at the moment, we're just kind of stuck in this bad equilibrium where we we all have an incentive to drive and we all get loads of traffic in, in return. I do think that particularly if we were to couple it with the the significant reduction in excise duties, excise duties are kind of about 37 cent per litre at the moment, that maybe that combined would prove that this actually could be a popular policy as it has proven in many cities across
0: the world. Thank you very much Dr. Murren Lynch of the ESRI and Dr. Lorraine Darcy from TU Dublin. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.